Mile high, hello everybody in Broncos country and welcome into another episode of Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host Lance Sanderson and joining me as always is the man, the myth, and the legend. He is your Denver Broncos insider, Mile High Huddle's senior draft analyst, Eric Trickle. Eric, what's going on, man? It's going good, and I actually find it funny that you introduced me as the man, the myth, the legend, because earlier this week I recorded with Nick, and I'm pretty sure he did the same kind of intro, and I actually didn't type it out. He also added the resident genius to the intro for me, because I actually typed that into our outline for it. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he did the man, the myth, the legend, so I just find find that funny. (laughs) Coincidental. (laughs) Yeah, a little coincidental, but I mean, it, I thought about putting that in there earlier all day today. I didn't get a chance to check out the building the Broncos piece yet, so I, I, you know, I just wanted to kind of loosen it up a little bit when we first get started on something like this today. I mean, it's been a long day, and I'm just, I'm kind of tired, so we're gonna kind of force our way through this for just a little bit, but. Uh, Guys, on today's episode of Dove Valley Deep Divers, we're going to take a very in-depth look at the play of the Broncos' left tackle, Garrett Bowles. We're going to discuss, I mean, just the technique aspect of his game, his hand placement, his footwork. We're going to look at the holding penalties and how he can improve where his hands, his feet, and just his overall technique to eliminate those penalties. Then we're going to take a look at some uh, guys from the the draft this year as far as like potential replacement options and also in the free agent pool as well. And then shortly after that, we'll get into the Green Bay Packers game. So here we go, guys. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric. Today we're going to discuss Garrett Bowles and the issues that he has had playing the left tackle position and obviously the holds is the is the big thing that everyone's up in arms about right now and he did have four holding penalties against the Chicago Bears all of them I believe all of them were in the second the second quarter there might have been one at the beginning of the third quarter I can't remember exactly but um, four holds that's not very good obviously um, but there was there was probably 
six or seven plays in a row there that Garrett Bowles could have gotten called for holding on every single one of them, not just like all game. I'm talking straight in a row. So, Eric, break it down for us really quick. What uh, What's the biggest issue that you see with Garrett Bowles and his technique right now? Well, the biggest issue is that he doesn't keep his hands up ready to punch. That are That immediately puts him behind. If you're not having your hands up, and we saw this against Khalil Mack multiple times against the Bears. When he goes to bring his hands up to deliver his punch, it's just so easy to swipe out of the way. You got to keep them up, and you got to you got to hit them first if you're an offensive lineman. I mean, if you're dropping into your pass protection and they're coming at you, yes, you have to be a little bit patient with it, but you got to time it. You got to get your hands out first. That's the biggest issue with Garrett Bowles. His hands are constantly down at his side. He doesn't keep them up. He doesn't keep them ready. And when you look at and watch better left tackles play, not even elite guys, even though elite guys do do this, they keep their hands up at the ready. Being put from behind, allowing them to take the outside his outside shoulder just goes and leads to him to holding. And it makes me wonder, as John Elway, as Vic Biagio, as multiple other people within the Broncos organization have mentioned, it makes me wonder if he actually knows what holding is because he keeps making the same mistakes. It's very correctable, but my question is, will he be able to correct it? He's had 14 accepted holding calls in the last two years. That is the most in the NFL in that time frame. By far, it's by just far. his first two years. So it isn't acceptable. When we see him keep his hands up, he actually plays really well. Like, it's just... It's light and day. I mean, penalties are still an issue. Fault starts, holding. He still gets hit with that. But when he keeps his hands up, his pressure rate plummets. To close out the 2018 season, he allowed 2.7% pressure rate. It was one of the best in the NFL for weeks 10 through 17, which is when that was allowed beforehand. It was still it was about middle of the pack with like a, with I think 4% right there, meaning about 2%, just under 3% of his plays, he was allowing a pressure. That's actually pretty good. And he actually looked a lot better in the running game. And he showed potential of him being a quality left tackle. It's why so many people were hyped up that, hey, we got Mike Munchak. He's going to be able to help fix Garrett Bowles and make him something and make him great. We just haven't seen it. And against the Bears, by my count, I'm not sure how accurate this is because I did this count before all 22 film was available on Game Pass. But from my count, from how it looked, he only allowed six pressures. And for error, I was, I'm being, I'll be willing to give up saying that he gave up 10. I know it wasn't much more than that, but the holds really killed his game because outside of that, he actually was solid. Which, it's not the best to do that because the holds are part of his game. But it's like Isaac Yadam from the game against the o- Oakland Raiders. People want to kill him because of that first half that he had, basically that first drive where he allowed multiple catches. But he ended that game on a strong level, on a strong note. He showed the potential. They made the adjustments that can help him. And they did something similar with Garrett Bowles. There's still potential there. They've definitely got to get it down. And if not, he's going to be replaced after this year. Can't keep him. Can't keep holding. He's got to learn what it is. He's got to learn how to fix it. And the question is, is he willing to? And does he have the capacity to improve and cut back on those? Haven't been seen it yet. Haven't heard positive things about that involving him. So only time will tell. Right. And, you know, there was a, an interesting interview with him after the game. And he did look like he was pretty beaten up about it. And was just it, it seemed like he was so confused as what the holding penalties were, like why he was getting them called against him. And to me, it's just 
you have to understand that you cannot keep your hands on the outside of the, the framework of the, the defender you're trying to block. He's getting his hands. At, so his hands, when he starts the rep, are down by his waist. They're not up by his shoulders, and they're not ready to fire as soon as uh, the, the opportunity presents itself. So what he's doing is he has to raise his hands up, and he brings them outside, and he gets underneath the outside of the, the shoulder pad, up by where the numbers are at. He's pushing that up, and he's getting on the outside of the framework. You cannot do that because when you hold on to that, then you're getting jersey to pull, and the, the referees are going to see that. They're going to throw that penalty Every single time, every single time. And then the the one that was the most egregious, and I'm like, how can you not know this is holding? And even Mark Schlereth on the uh, the game broadcast, he's like, you know, if you're going to tackle people, we'll just put you to the defensive side of the football because that's where you're going to be the best suited for this Denver Broncos team. So, I mean, he got his left hand up on the outside, his right hand up underneath the armpit of the defender. I can't remember who it was. And he just walked him straight backwards and laid right on top of him. It was atrocious. You cannot do that at this level and get away with it. And he's like, you know, they're just going off of my reputation. Well, you have a reputation of holding because you hold every single play. Like I said, six, seven plays in a row, you could have been called for holding. So... And that's just in the running game. I'm not even talking specifically to the passing game. In the passing game, his footwork is lazy. Uh, it's sloppy at times. He does have enough athleticism to kind of overcome that, but he's getting his feet perpendicular to the line of scrimmage very quickly, and he's opening up his shoulders. He's letting the outside edge, the outside of his edge, and get, opening up the arc. And all he's doing is kind of mirroring and pushing that up away. But when he's not, when he's not getting a good punch and getting a good initial jab with his right hand on the on the left shoulder of his defender, now he has to reach up on the outside. He's getting that hand up uh, up by the numbers again, up inside the the horse collar kind of area as well and then he's just dragging guys down to the ground and it's like you know if you kick slide keep your shoulders square to the line of scrimmage get your good kick slide keep your hands at the ready and dictate the rep as soon as you get a chance to dictate this is where we're gonna go and this is how I'm going to block you and be physical about it because you're not seeing that with him right now he's catching guys he's backpedaling turning his shoulders he's backpedaling back into Joe Flacco's lap or even Trevor Simeon's lap from the last couple of years so You've got to figure that out, and you've got to get your foot your footwork figured out, and create a basis for you to have success when you're when you're pass protecting. Now, another issue that I see with him is once he actually does initiate contact, and he and he has his hands where they're supposed to be, his feet stop, and then he doesn't it doesn't get back and doesn't hand fight enough to get back to where he is having success and mirroring the mirroring his defender. So. I mean, there's there's a lot of issues to his game, but they're all very coachable. And with Mike Munchak, it just doesn't seem like Garrett Bowles is willing to accept the coaching that Mike Munchak has given him. Because look at what he did with Alejandro Villanueva up in Pittsburgh. He turned an undrafted uh, free agent out of Army. I mean, I think it was Army. Anyways, he, he takes a, a former military academy player, undrafted, and turns him into a top at least seven left tackle in the game. Where is the the improvement with Garrett Bowles? Yeah, and people want to sit there and point out that, oh, it's only been X amount of time. He hasn't had a full year with him. He hasn't, and that is one reason why I don't think that Denver will fully give up on him after this season. I think they will continue to work with, work with him and give him another year with Mike Munchak, just seeing if potentially they can salvage the first-round pick. I don't think they'll pick up the first, the fifth round or fifth year option. That should be obvious, but I don't think they're going to cut him. 
I think they'll sit there and continue working with him because at the very least he might be able to become a solid depth piece. And also, to be fair a little bit with the holding calls on Garrett Bowles, one or two of them were pretty ticky-tacky. But yes. the issue with that is that there were a couple that weren't called that were more clearly holds than the two ticky-tacky ones, so it kind of balances out. But it's just he's got to get it down. I mean, as you said, there's so many issues with it that leads to holding. But it all comes down comes down to is, does he actually know what holding is? I question that. And with, even though he hasn't had a full year with Mike Munchak, he should be showing better than he is. Having two years in the NFL already, he should know what holding is. He should know that he has this reputation because of those 14 accepted holding calls. And since he was brought into the NFL, since he was drafted, it's been like almost 30 total holding calls which is far and away the highest in the NFL. I think the next closest I saw it was at like 19 total accepted and unexpected or unaccepted. So it's mind, it's mind boggling that he doesn't understand why he has this reputation. And I will say this too, is that he made this comment about how the reps are looking for it and everything like that because of the reputation, which of course they're going to look for it. That is very common with the NFL. But again, to be fair to him, the refs this year have been throwing holding calls on just about everything, and it's getting way out of hand. Like, this, that game last night against, when we're recording this, that game last night against the Titans and the Jaguars, I didn't watch much of it, but I, what I watched, I turned it off because of how many holding calls they were. It's getting stupid, and the NFL needs to cut back on it just a little bit. Yeah, Tom Brady actually said something about that too. He said he quit he quit watching the game because of all the penalties. I mean, it, it the, there have been a lot of holding penalties this year. It's it's kind of kind of rough, but you know, we need to kind of look forward though. I mean, you like you said probably not going to give the fifth year option to to Garrett Bowles. So that's going to leave a, a hole open up at that left tackle side if the Broncos don't keep him around as far as like a depth piece. There there definitely needs to be some kind of an answer made. And this year in the NFL draft, I mean, there's a, a couple of pretty good options. I don't know with with John Elway's, you know, history for drafting offensive tackles, if that's probably the, the best way to go. But Eric, you, you got kind of a list here that you've got just some names that we need to kind of think about and just put a bug in our ears about the some of the better uh, offensive tackle prospects that are coming up. So who you got, man? Man, this year, I absolutely love the tackle class. It is so strong. You have Tristan Wirfs and Andrew Thompson out of Iowa and Georgia, respectively. Those are your top two guys. Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. He can play four of the five spots on the offensive line, center being the only one he can't. I love his technique. He's definitely show, needs to show a little bit more improvement as a run blocker, but his pass protection is really sound, really solid. Technique is solid. Andrew Thomas, he probably has the best technique of the bunch, but there's a lot of inconsistencies with his game. Those are definitely the top two guys, and if Denver is picking in the top eight, they should do whatever they can to make sure they land one of those guys. Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama, out of Alabama is a guy who I think can really rise up in this draft. He's a guy who was playing guard last year because they had – Jonah Williams at left at left tackle, and he was the top tackle prospect that came out. But when he came out of high school, so now he gets to play left tackle, and he, so far he's looked great there. So he could definitely be a riser. There's still some concerns about it because there's such a small sample size of him at left tackle. But the early returns have been great. Liam Eikenberg got a Notre Dame. This is a guy that I like playing either tackle spots. He could be a depth guy, um, a depth swing tackle if he isn't able to be a starter. But I think that he's got. Good potential to be a starter. 
Prince Teguanago out of Auburn. This is a guy that's very athletic, very raw, very similar to Garrett Bowles when he came out. If they were willing to take a guy probably in that second round that they want to work with and develop, maybe if they signed a free agent option for a short term, then this is a guy that they could definitely look at bringing in and letting Mike Munchak develop. Lucas Niang, he's a guy who's plenty of power. He's a guy that I think could be a day one starter at right tackle and eventually develop into left tackle. Ezra Cleveland, he's more of a middle later round guy out of Boise State, going from being the little Broncos to the big Broncos. And he definitely needs a lot of development. So he's not a guy that I'd be looking out to start right away, but he's a guy that I'd be looking to pair with Mike Munchak. And Tristan Wirfs, really overshadows him, but Alaric Jackson out of Iowa is another really good tackle prospect. I think that he is more of a, he, I think he's definitely just a tackle. I think that he's probably more of a safer pick than Tristan Warps in a way. I think at the very least you could pretend you have a very solid backup tackle in Jackson, but I like his game. I think you can play him at right tackle or left tackle. I do think that there is still some development needed there with him, but I like what I've seen out of him and I just, I just love this tackle class in general, man. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Alaric Jackson. He went down with a with a pretty big knee injury. I think he was a torn ACL, right? I don't think so. I think he's expected back either. I think it's supposed to expected back next week. Oh, really? I, yeah, I, I guess know, I hadn't I seen anything. Seri- on I know that. it wasn't serious, and that he was only supposed to miss a few games. And only reason why I know that is because of talking to our colleague Nick Kendall about it. Huh. Well, that then that's that's on me. I do apologize for that. But uh, Tristan Wirfs actually was the starting right tackle for the yeah. Iowa Hawkeyes to begin the year. Alaric Jackson, uh, yeah, Alaric Jackson was the starting left tackle. Wirfs has now had to move over to to left tackle, and he's looked very good there in the little bit of time that I have actually got to see that. But uh, I mean, if the if the Broncos do want to go the draft option, those are probably the be- the best looking guys to to take a look at, at least for what Eric has to say about it. Now, I went back and I went uh, to look at the free agent class, and there's not a whole lot to work with the tackle classes there's just there's not a whole lot to 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 work with there you've got Andrew Whitworth who is 38 going on 39 Jason Peters 30 38 going on 39 Donald Penn 37 going on 38 they're the the really big name guys but then you got a bunch of players um coming off the 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 lower 30s you know Anthony Costanzo 32 years old for the the left tackle for the uh, Indianapolis Colts he's looked really good and I don't think that the uh, the Colts are gonna they're, I think they're going to keep him. They're not going to let him go. Kelvin Beachum, New York Jets. Brian Bulaga, they're probably going to be set free. Jack Conklin, who has needed a lot of help in in Tennessee. He's probably the biggest name out there as far as a right tackle goes. But the issue mostly here is at the left tackle position with Garrett Bowles. So that's really what we're breaking down. And then you have uh, Greg Robinson out of Cleveland, who has not looked very good over his time as he was, I think, the number two overall pick in, in St. Louis when the Rams were still there. But guys, we still have a lot to talk about. And before we do that, we got to take a take a quick break. Uh, before we go, I just want to remind you all to head on over to milehighhuddle.com to check out all of our written content on your Denver Broncos. At the Huddle website, you'll get breaking news, analysis, and opinion articles, as well as in-depth film breakdowns of not only the Broncos players, but matchups to watch in an upcoming game, or even our top-notch NFL draft coverage. I do know Nick has a piece right now on Kenny Clark and what the Broncos have to do to stop him as in the Green Bay Packers game, so really go check that out. Also, make sure you take a couple minutes to create your own personalized profile and hit up the comment section to voice your opinions on any topics that you agree or disagree with. It's completely free, it's easy to use, and we, as the staff members, all love to discuss Broncos football with our readers. You can also sit in with us during the live game thread to talk your thoughts on how the team is performing as well. So with that, we got to step away really quick, guys. Sit tight. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Dove Valley Deep Divers, folks. Uh, we just got done breaking down Garrett Bowles' game tape for, against the uh, Chicago Bears and talking about his holding penalties, all the, the the fundamental issues. But now it's time to look forward. We're done looking at week two. We got to move up to week three as the Broncos go into Lambeau Field, a place that they have never won to go face the Green Bay Packers. Eric, what's the biggest key to the game, man? I think the biggest key is being cautious with Aaron Rodgers. For the defense, anyways, because you want to keep him in the pocket because when he gets out of the pocket, just magic happens. He has such a good repertoire with his receivers that they know once he gets out of the pocket, do whatever you can to get open, and he will hit you, and he will get a big gain out of it. But you also want to apply the pressure, and applying the pressure sometimes leaves lanes open for him to escape, so you have to you have to find that balance there because you want to get him under pressure, and you want to potentially try to make mistakes. Against that Packers defense... This is a tough one because they got Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, two really good pass rushers. They have Kenny Clark up the middle. They have a really good secondary, but they do have one weak spot in their linebackers. To move this ball against them, I would expect them to see a lot of trying to get Noah Fant matched up against those linebackers because Oren Burks isn't expected to play. And B.J. Goodson and Blake Martinez, they're not the best in coverage. B.J. Goodson is definitely exploitable in coverage. Doing whatever they can to get Noah Fant or even like Deshaun Hamilton or Philip Lindsay or Royce Freeman matched up against one of them should benefit the Broncos offense. And that's definitely where you're going to want to be trying to attack to move the ball because taking deep shots with Kevin King, Jerry Alexander, Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage, you have to basically be perfect. Otherwise they're going to make it, make you pay Kevin King on Cortland Sutton. That's a great matchup because Kevin King is working his way to a shutdown corner status. He has one interception. He's only allowed three catches to seven targets. Gerald Alexander, he's allowed six catches to 16 targets. Definitely great play there. Definitely want to try to spread them out a little bit, get those linebackers in coverage, and exploit them because otherwise you're going to struggle a lot. Yeah, and this this Packers defense is full of big plays right now, full of very, very big plays. Uh, last week against the Minnesota Vikings, they created four turnovers and they had a fifth one on the ground, but Kirk Cousins was able to scoop it up after a strip sack. So they have six turnovers already this year. They have six sacks as well and 16 quarterback hits. That defensive line is getting after the passer right now. And with the Broncos issues that they are having on their offensive line and in pass protection, it's been hit and miss mostly for the the majority of the the Broncos' first two games. So 16 quarterback hits, that's not necessarily a, something that the, Bronco, the Broncos fans are going to want to see. So you're going to have to get that that quick passing game over the middle of the field. And really, I think you're going to have to get Noah Fant involved, especially over the middle of the field. And if you can get him lined up against Blake Martinez, I think that's probably going to be the biggest key matchup, this, the biggest key single matchup of this game for the Broncos if they want to have success offensively. Defensively, 
Yeah, this is this is something that you're really going to have to watch out for. I don't like the, the Green Bay Packers wide receivers very much. I mean, there's just not a lot of name power there. Carl and I talked about it last or earlier this summer as far as the, uh, the Green Bay Packers receiving cores. And outside of Devontae Adams, who is absolutely spectacular, there's, there's nothing that I will say bad about Devontae Adams. There's really just a lot of nothing there. Geronimo don't sleep Allison, on Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I, I mean, I... I don't know, man. He's, I don't with know. With what they ask him to do, there's there's not many I don't want to say there's not many better, but he what they ask him to do, he does very, very well. And then yeah. be a speedy guy downfield, take the top off, run those posts, run those corners, and yep. keep an eye for Aaron Rodgers to get out of the pocket for the potential big shot. And he does but that very well. I really like his game. I liked him coming out. I wanted him in Denver, so it's also a bit personal for me that you're going to sit there and not necessarily trash him, but just say there's not much there when he's there. So <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know. There's, that's the only aspect to his game that he does very well though. I mean, he's not the greatest route runner. He's, he's got okay hands, but I mean, he's, that's, that's it. It's get deep, get open, get open fast. We're going to throw the ball to you deep down the field and that's it. They don't use him as far as like slant game goes. They don't use him on crossing routes very often. I mean, there's, that is his, that is his only game. But so, I mean, I digress. The the Packers offense, Aaron is really kind of obviously run through Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Jones has uh, looked really well in his first couple weeks uh, for, for the Packers. Let me just pull up some stats really quick. So, yeah, uh, the, the Minnesota game, uh, Aaron Jones had 23 rushes for 116 yards. That's 5.04 uh, yards per carry, and he did have a touchdown. He's getting some look in the, in the passing game as well. So that's a, that's an offensive weapon that the Broncos need to take, take advantage of and, and really kind of keep their eyes on. Eric, I'm going to let you keep going, though, because I'm, I'm kind of struggling right now. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is definitely a threat. When I was on Building the Broncos, the scout side preview with Nick Kendall, he definitely talked about it and taking Aaron, Ro- or Aaron Jones out of the game, and I definitely agree there. Helping make the Packers' offense one-dimensional will help out your defense. And this is a guy that Vic Fangio, he's had, he's had to face him, he knows against him, and he even spoke out against him and talking about his skill set and everything. Definitely a really good player. He was another one that I actually liked coming out of it, even though nobody really knew who he was. Coming out of the very small school that he did, I liked him. I liked his skill set, and they definitely have got they got even more out of him than I was expecting. They definitely have other threats around on that receiving game, but they are they are a very limited unit. I'll give you that. And it's just it all just comes down to Aaron Rodgers. Like they have two great offensive tackles that are two of the best in the business, and Leonard Floyd and Cleo Mack. They kind of got some pressures against them, but they're still really good offensive tackles. Von Miller and Bradley Chubb—they're going to have their works cut out for them. Aaron Rodgers, so smart, so athletic, that this is the perfect game to get Todd Davis back. They could definitely use him. They need to get Shelby Harris unleashed and get him going. Justin Simmons—they need to keep him, have him play basically a flawless game. The secondary, in general, needs to basically play a flawless game because of Aaron Rodgers' ability to extend games. I think that this is definitely a make-or-break game for the Denver Broncos. If they don't win this, starting off 0-3 could definitely be a huge detriment to the season. I mean, I don't expect playoffs by any means, but there might be some veterans on this team that start getting upset. I mean, we're seeing players around the NFL demanding trades because they're not happy, if they start getting upset, maybe Emmanuel Sanders starts wanting out. Maybe Chris Harris. Maybe Von Miller. Maybe 
We just saw it happen with Mika Fitzpatrick. Maybe Bradley Chubb decides he wants out. Not saying it'll happen, but we have to watch it because that is a potential issue if they win, if they lose this game. I think it is definitely a must-win for the Denver Broncos. Going on three, very, very few teams have come back and made the playoffs after that. Again, I don't expect it to be a playoff season anyways. But I think that this is still a team that could potentially win seven or eight games. But if they don't get it going now... I don't think I think they would struggle to win four games. This game is definitely make or break. This is a team that we've seen them get hit losing streaks before, and they just can't get out of that slump. They get they get passive. They just like they just allow it to continue. Granted, that was with Vance Joseph. I don't see that happening with Big Fangio, but you never know. Can't lose this game. Denver has to go in there. They have to finally get their first win against Green Bay when basically they're not at a neutral site like the Super Bowl or in Denver. They've never won in Green Bay or Milwaukee when the Packers would play there. So definitely a win for them. And again, my big my matchup that I'm very anxious to see for this, I'm going to go with a different one than I did with the building the Broncos game simply because for some, you know, basically diversity a little bit. I mean, in that one, I, in the building the Broncos, I talked about Fanton Martinez, Sutton and King, Miller Chubb versus those offensive tackles. I'm going to go with, the interior Broncos offensive line against Kenny Clark. Dalton Reisner, he had a rough game against Akeem Nix and Eddie Goldman. Connor McGovern, he had some struggles, but he actually played a pretty solid game. Ron Leary, they could definitely exploit him because he's not the most quickest guy. So Kenny Clark, he's going to – he's basically – they need to keep it so Joe Flacco can step up because I don't expect Elijah Wilkinson and Garrett Bowles to shut down those offensive tackles. They need to let him be they need to allow him to step up to escape the pressure from there and deliver good balls downfield. Otherwise this game could get out of hand quickly. Yeah. Another really quick piece of information that I want to kind of throw out there and I don't have an exact statistic, but I do rem- I do know one thing about uh, Aaron Rodgers that the Broncos are going to be able to exploit and that is specifically the time that he takes to throw the ball. He holds on to the ball an extensive amount of time, and he's averaged 3.4 seconds. Yep, there you go. So 3.04 seconds. That is almost a full second longer than what Mitchell Trubisky was holding the football against the Denver Broncos on most times. I think I saw that there was a statistic. He was like 17 or 18 of Mitchell Trubisky's passes came out of his hand in less than two seconds. Yep, 27 of them. 27 passes against the Broncos this year as a whole have been in, out in under two seconds. Yep, and that's just a ridiculous, a ridiculous statistic to me. And that is, we've we talked about it last week uh, as something the Broncos could use against the Bears' pass rush to nullify that Bears' pass rush was getting the ball out of Joe Flacco's hands quickly. Aaron Rodgers does not do that, and that is something that that is why Leonard Floyd and Cleo Mack were able to get some pressures going against Brian Bulaga and David Bakhtiari for the Green Bay Packers. So. If the Broncos can get uh, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb getting up the field and having Aaron Rodgers hold on to the football the way that he has been, that is something that the Broncos are going to be able to maybe use. And I, I my bold prediction for, for this game is that the Broncos are going to walk out of Lambeau Field with at least four sacks. I put that on our uh, on our bold predictions piece, the, the the game picks and analysis that we have with our Mile High Huddle roundtable, and I think that the Broncos are going to walk away with at least four sacks against the Aaron Rodgers in that offensive line. So... That's just another big key matchup for me to watch 
for the Broncos to, to walk away with a win. But guys, that's going to do it for us today. We're going to wrap it up here. Thank you all once again for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You guys can follow us on Twitter if you choose by finding me at SandersonMHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle, spelled E-R-I-C-K-T-R-I-C-K-E-L. Also, be sure to follow at Mile High Huddle for instant updates on the Denver Broncos. Try to do a really good job of getting all of our written content, the podcast network. You can follow that at Huddle Up Pod as well so that you guys have instant updates on the Denver Broncos at your fingertips all the time. You guys can also like Mile High Huddle's Facebook page as well. We do kind of the same thing there, getting all of our content, all of our written content, film pieces and stuff like that for you guys to take a look at. And if it weren't for you all, we wouldn't have the opportunity to do what we do best, which is break down your Denver Broncos. So until next time, Broncos country, stay safe and take care. You guys have a great day. Thanks. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. (laughs) 